All right, well, let's see. A little bit thin, but uh, may have some people coming in a little late today. Let's go ahead and get started. And uh, Richard, can you open us in prayer? Bottom of page 47 of your workbooks. The bottom of page 47. And I know it's been a couple weeks since we've been in our workbook. So uh, by way of reminder, we are beginning to look at what does it mean to live as a Christian? Uh, what does this Christian life look like? And we began looking at the law of God. And we saw that the law is given to man as a display of God's holiness. Uh, that it is to bring man under a conviction of sin. And uh, it is to show man how he is to see himself or view himself in light of God's uh, righteous demands. Um, and so we see the, the law is given to man as a schoolmaster, as, as a, a guide, a leader in man's life to show him uh, how he is to live. And then we uh, saw that the law in itself is unable uh, to save, that man is unable to earn his salvation by keeping the law perfectly. And this is because of our sinful nature. Every action that we take, uh, everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we think is tainted by sin. Uh, and so we cannot keep this law uh, perfectly, no matter how hard we try. And that this law cannot uh, save us, but it is uh, by grace through faith that we are saved. And it is the cross of Christ which purchases our salvation, our justification. Um, and so that's where we left off last time looking at uh, the inability to perfectly obey the law. But today we pick up and we see that while we are unable to perfectly obey the law and while the law in itself, uh, by our obedience to it, it, it still cannot bring us salvation we do see that the moral law is to be obeyed. 
by all believers, uh, really by all people. The command is for all people to submit to the law of God. But uh, we're talking specifically believers uh, that we are to obey this law. And uh, we can obey this law, albeit not perfectly. And we do it as an evidence of our salvation and not a means of it. And uh, I've said this numerous times in preaching that our good works flows out of our union with Christ. And so we, we see in Romans chapter 3 and verse 31, do we, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. So here we see that Paul, who uh, many point to as the great teacher of the law-gospel distinction, uh, says that our faith by which we are saved, uh, through which we are saved, our faith does not make void the law of God, that the law of God is still uh, standing, that it is still binding. And it is because of our faith, because of who we are in Christ, that the law is now established uh, in our hearts, uh, meaning that, that it's because of our faith that we can obey the law. It, our faith doesn't make the law void. No, it makes it to where we can actually do the law. Uh, can someone read Ephesians uh, 2, verses 8 to 10? So what is the result of our being saved by grace through faith? Yes, that we walk in good works. Because that is what we are created for. We are created unto uh, good works. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So it is flowing from the fact that we are saved by grace through faith that we then do the works of the law. Uh, in Roman, or, or Ephesians 2 verse 9 uh, makes it clear that these works are not unto salvation, but it is uh, because of our salvation by grace through faith that we do these works. First uh, John 2 and verse 3. Someone can read that. Uh, verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him. We keep his commandments. All right. How do we know if we are true believers? 
we keep His commandments. Um, That's not to say that keeping His commandments means that you are a Christian. Um, There are those who can give the appearance of keeping the commandments, but in their heart, they truly do not. Um, But what we see is that every regenerate heart, every person who is saved by grace through faith, will uh, show that salvation. They will show that they are of Christ, that they know Him by keeping His commandments. And this is... Just one test uh, that is given in this chapter in how we can know that we are in Christ. But it's an important one. Anyone who lives a lawless lifestyle, uh, and we call those antinomians, those who are against the law, um, anyone who, who does not view the need to obey the law of God, there is reason to believe that they are not Christians because of this verse right here. And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. This is why... uh, This is why churches, elders, can do church discipline. It's because unrepentant violations of the law of God uh, must be corrected. And then the reason that excommunication exists is because repeated unrepentant violations of the law of God bear witness to uh, you not being in Christ. And so that's what excommunication says. It is the elders examining the evidence of faith in your life and saying you are not bearing the marks of a believer and so you are cast out of the visible church. And it's a very serious thing. Uh, Keeping the law of God is a very serious thing and is something we're all commanded to do. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. By this, uh, we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And so the, the duty is obedience to the law. And so, if we are to be obedient to the law, we have to know what that law is, right? You you can't be expected to be obedient to something you don't know. And thankfully, uh, all people are without excuse because God's moral law is written into the fabric of creation. Uh, but we get special revelation as well 
which makes it even clearer what it is that we are to do. So uh, we see the moral law of God summarized in the Ten Commandments, and uh, that is found in Exodus chapter 20 and verses uh, 1 to 17. We're not going to uh, read through all of that unless you guys want to, uh, but uh, I'm sure that you're all familiar with the Ten Commandments. Uh, but what we are going to do um, is, as we look at the Ten Commandments, we're going to use the shorter catechism and its exposition of the shorter or, or of the moral law of God to see what it is that is required of us. Um, and I think using the shorter catechism is, is a really good thing to do in your own personal life from time to time. Examine yourself uh, according to uh, the summary of the duties of the Ten Commandments given in the shorter catechism. Um, and also, uh, if, if you want a more in-depth means of self-examination, use the lar- larger catechism that goes into more detail. But I think the shorter catechism is a good place to start. Uh, it begins in question 45 and goes through question 81. And so what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read uh, the commandment, and then I'm going to read the Shorter Catechism's uh, summary of that commandment and the duties required in it. And then I want you to give me just a brief sentence in your own words. What is, our, the, what is required of us in this moral law? So uh, the first commandment, uh, we, see, we see here in our workbook, it's divided up one through four and then five through ten with our duty to God as one through four and our duty to fellow men in five through ten. And you'll see how that uh, division is natural from the commandments themselves. So the first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so, what is required in the first commandment? The first commandment requireth us to know and acknowledge God to be the the only true God and our God, and to worship and glorify Him accordingly. And then what is forbidden in the first commandment? The first commandment forbiddeth the denying or not worshiping and glorifying the true God as God and our God and the giving of that worship and glory to any other which is due to him alone. So we see the duties required and the, uh, what is forbidden. So give me a summary of what that is. Just a quick sentence of what what is required of us in the first commandment, both positively and negatively. Worship only, me, worship only God and worship no one. Okay. 
Worship only God and worship no other. Have God be your God and do not have any other gods. Uh, It's very simple. But yet, if you look at the catechism, it fleshes it out in a way that helps you examine yourself. Uh, It speaks of not worshiping and glorifying other uh, things. Uh, It it speaks about uh, the sin of not worshiping and glorifying God as the true God. And so there, there, it gets more detailed, but it gives us this good summary. So the second commandment, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the generation uh, upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments so what is required in the second commandment the second commandment requireth the receiving observing and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God hath appointed in his word. And then what is forbidden in the second commandment? The second commandment forbiddeth the worshiping of God by images or by any other way not appointed in his word. Okay? So give me a, give me a summary of that. What is our duties uh, in the second commandment, both positive and negative? Yeah. Uh, Worship God by the means that he's given us and don't worship him any other way. Yeah. Worship God according to the means that he has given us and don't worship him in any other way. Uh, This is... uh, foundational to our understanding of worship. And we, so we see uh, that the first commandment tells us who to worship, and the second commandment says, tells us how to worship Him. Um, think back to the story of the Exodus when the, when the Israelites are at Mount Sinai and Moses goes up top and he doesn't come down in a timely manner and the Israelites have Aaron build for them a golden calf and he says uh, here is your God who has brought you out of slavery out of the land of Egypt today is a feast day unto Jehovah what is the sin of the Israelites was it a first commandment violation? Did they were they worshiping a different God in that? Yes. The golden calf incident, most people will say, well that's you know, they're they're worshiping the gods of Egypt or, or they're worshiping some other god that they've made up. No. Uh, 
It's very clear today is a feast day unto Jehovah, is what Aaron says. And so it is not a violation of the first commandment because they're still worshiping the Lord. They're still worshiping God. It's a violation of the second commandment. They're worshiping him in a means by which he has not commanded them. And so uh, that's a helpful distinction for us to make the difference between the first and second commandment. That the first commandment is who to worship. The second commandment is how to worship. Now the third commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Um, What is required in the third commandment? The third commandment requireth the holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, Word and works. And what is forbidden in the third commandment? The third commandment forbiddeth all profaning or abusing of anything whereby God maketh himself known. So give me the summary, positive and negative there. Okay, don't don't curse using God's name. Or swear to something. Yeah, or swear unto something in the name of God. Um, honor, God's name. honor God's name. Keep God's name holy. Keep God's name holy. Yeah, all of these things are true. Uh, but there's so much involved in this that we don't always think about. When you take an oath, when you, when you swear an oath, you are swearing an oath in the Lord's name. And if you do not keep the, uh, the bounds of that oath, what you have sworn to do, then you have lied, you have borne false witness, but you've also taken the Lord's name in vain. A violation of your covenant vows uh, that you make is a violation of the third commandment because you have taken the name of the Lord God on your lips and you have done it in vain. Um, Here's one that I think my generation is terrible at. You get on social media and some of these uh, reformed groups on Facebook and people are all the time making memes or jokes uh, about the works of God and about his ordinances. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. When you joke or make light of any aspect of God, his name, his attributes, his works, his ordinances, you are taking his name in vain. And so we have to revere his name. We have to honor his name, uphold his name. That's what's commanded here. Uh, Fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant, 
nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Wherefore uh, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Alright, so here we have the Sabbath commandment. uh, The fourth commandment pertaining to the Sabbath. So what is required in the fourth commandment? The fourth commandment requireth the keeping holy to God such set times as he hath appointed in his word. Expressly, one whole day in seven to be a holy Sabbath to himself. And then uh, what is forbidden in the fourth commandment? The fourth commandment forbiddeth the omission or careless performance of the duties required and the profaning of the day in, by idleness or by doing that which is in itself sinful or by unnecessary thoughts, words, or works about our worldly employments or recreations. So we see that the positive side, what's required of us, is observance of his ordinances pertaining to the Sabbath day. Uh, That would be coming to church, worshiping, doing works of necessity and mercy, uh, observing the whole of the day as holy unto God. And then we see what's required Uh, What's forbidden is uh, the profaning of the Sabbath, not doing those things, uh, or or any thought, word, or actions pertaining to uh, worldly employment or recreation. Um, This fourth commandment, there there are two... uh, catechism questions in between what's required and what's forbidden and that's which day of the seven hath God appointed to be the weekly Sabbath that hits on why we why the Lord's day the first day of the week is the weekly Sabbath now and then how is the Sabbath to be sanctified and that uh, tells us how we are to be able to keep this commandment um and and if you look at if you look at the American church today, the evangelical church, this commandment is probably the one that is violated the most, most frequently, most boldly, most brazenly. Uh, people do not honor and obey the Sabbath and keep it holy. All right, thou shalt not kill, or I'm sorry, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. That's the fifth commandment. And what is required is the fifth commandment requireth the preserving the honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. Then what is forbidden in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment forbiddeth the neglecting of or doing anything against the honor and duty which belongeth to everyone in their several places and relations.
So what is the positive and negative aspects of this commandment? Give respect to your elders and not disrespect them. Yeah. Show honor where honor is due and do not uh, dishonor. Um, and it's important. A lot of people will try to make this commandment out to only be speaking about the parent-child relationship. It's not. The fifth commandment gives us the paradigm for how we are to understand any superior-inferior relationship. Uh, So, by you dishonoring and disrespecting your boss at work, you are violating the fifth commandment. Uh, Or, if you are the boss... By you lording over and disrespecting your employees, those who are under you, you are violating the fifth commandment. Um, Unwillingness to submit to the courts of the church or the rulings of your elders is insubordination, which is a violation of the fifth commandment. There's so many ways in which These commandments truly do apply, uh, and we need to understand that. It's not just what it may seem at face value. It's so much deeper. Sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. So what is required in the sixth commandment? The sixth commandment requireth all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. And what is forbidden in the Sixth Commandment? The Sixth Commandment forbiddeth the taking away of our own life or the life of our neighbor unjustly or whatsoever tendeth thereunto. So we see the command to preserve life, that is the positive, and to not unjustly take life, that's the negative. Um... So it is your duty, if able, to do everything you can to help preserve life. Um, that means if, if you uh, witness a car accident and you have the means to be able to help the person who's been in that accident, you are obligated to, to help them. And if you don't, then, then you could be guilty of breaking this commandment. Um, you have the duty to seek medical care, to preserve your own life, and to not do so is to break this commandment. Um, but then it speaks of not taking others' lives unjustly. There is a just uh, and necessary time in which the taking of life uh, occurs, and that is in self-defense or in just wars. Other than that, you have the duty to preserve and protect life. Uh, And this is why uh, this commandment is applied also to all people, including the magistrates. Magistrates have a duty to uphold the moral law of God. 
This is why it is such a wicked thing when magistrates uh, allow abortion to take place because they have a moral duty to preserve life. Uh, and, and you'll be judged according to your place as well. So those who are in authority will be judged with greater severity than those who do not have the means to stop the evil things. Uh, we're told that elders will be judged with a greater judgment. Um, and that's because you're judged according to the position that you are in. And so the magistrate will answer to God for this. It would be interesting to confront the abortions. They're breaking this commandment. Um, I think of Nancy Pelosi and our president both talk about being good Catholics. Mm -hmm. um, and yet they look God's commandment and breaks my heart that they're breaking God's commandment and taking lives unnecessarily. Uh, it's, it's, it's a horrible thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and yet our politicians uh, in this state talk about people that And uh, the Shorter Catechism gives briefly explanation on this. The Larger Catechism goes even more in-depth into it and, and, and even addresses the sins of the heart uh, like Christ does in, in his sermon. Yeah, the larger catechism goes into that uh, bitterness towards other people, hatred, uh, evil thoughts, uh, violate this commandment. Uh, and so, you know, you, we can oftentimes sit here and we, we hear, you know, thou shalt not murder or, or thou shalt not kill. 
and think, man, I'm good on that one. I never killed anybody. But then you start examining yourself in light of Scripture as the catechism helps us to do. And very quickly you see, man, I am a wicked and vile murderer because I've hated so many people throughout my life. And so, you know, it's easy to point fingers to those out there. It's easy to point fingers to our governor or our legislators or our president. We need to point the fingers at ourselves as well. Um, Yes, it is more wicked to slaughter children in the womb than it is to have internal hatred towards someone. There are degrees of sin, but that does not make your uh, sin, your internal hatred, not wicked. Uh, There are degrees of sin, and it is more wicked to physically murder someone but to to internalize hatred and murder in your heart is just as wicked. Uh, And so that's why it's important to know these things, uh, to know the what's required and what's forbidden, because it helps us to see our own sin. Uh, It helps us to address sin outside of us when we see it in others, but it helps us to examine ourselves and see our own sin. Thou shalt not commit adultery, the seventh commandment. What's required in the seventh commandment? The seventh commandment requireth the preservation of our own and our neighbor's chastity in heart, speech, and behavior. And then what's forbidden in the seventh commandment? The seventh commandment forbiddeth all unchaste thoughts, words, and actions. So what do we what do we see here in this commandment? I think it, Yeah. Preserving the innocence of others. It really it boils down to Preserving chastity and being chaste. Um, and that includes, as, as the catechism question says, heart, speech, and behavior. You know, go back to Christ and the Sermon on the Mount. Anyone who, any man who has looked upon a woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery. So there's the heart. And, and, you know, Christ is using that as an example. Man looking upon a woman with lust. Women lust as well. Uh, Our society doesn't like to admit that. Women lust as well. So there are unchaste uh, desires of the heart within women as well as men. And then chastity and speech. Uh, in the military, I experienced this in, in, in great number, in, in great portion, uh, just how 
vile the speech was in regards to unchaste things. Men bragging about their sexual endeavors. Um, when we're talking with one another, uh, we have to ensure that our speech itself is chaste. You know, there, there are some things in Scripture that may sound unchaste to, some, to, an un, to a not understanding ear. Um, there are incidents of uh, fornication. There are incidents of sexual abuse. Uh, there are incidents of um, imagery given in a sexual means. Um, when we when we talk about these things, we have to talk about them in a chaste way, so as to not uh, stir up within other people the desire to sin. And then in our actions, uh, how we interact with one another. Um, Violating this commandment isn't always a married man and a married woman who are not married together uh, having a relationship. That's not always what this breaking this commandment looks like in action. Uh, sometimes it is being flirtatious with someone who's not your wife or not your husband. Sometimes it is uh, inappropriate uh, touching, hand-holding, prolonged hugs. You know, our actions have to be conducted in a chaste manner to where even an outsider, even an unbeliever looking upon you can say that person is pure in regards to their uh, relationship, in regards to their chastity. You know, to be able to look upon a married man and say that man is faithful to his wife in all ways. To be able to look upon a married woman and say that woman is faithful to her husband in all ways. To be able to look upon single people and say that person is being chaste and being faithful to their commitment to God in all ways and in, in seeking to obey Him. Anyone from the outside should be able to look at you and say that in any situation, at any time. What you do out here in public and what you do in your bedroom when you're there by yourself and the door's closed. Anyone in any situation should be able to look at what you are doing and say, this man, this woman is living a chaste lifestyle. Um, eighth commandment. Thou shalt not steal. So what is required in the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment requireth the law, 
procuring and furthering, uh, the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. And then what's forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment forbiddeth whatsoever doth or may unjustly hinder our own or our neighbor's wealth or outward estate. Seeking after the good of yourself and others is not a bad thing. Money is not a bad thing. The love of money is a bad thing. Uh, and, And so what's required of us here is to not seek to accumulate means, seek to accumulate wealth through unlawful endeavors. That would include gambling, you know, playing the lottery in hopes that you can win it big and finally be rich. <laughs> you know, the obvious one that includes not stealing in order to have that for yourself. But then here's one that doesn't often get talked about. Cutting corners at work. Fudging the numbers on your spreadsheet. Or your expense report. That's that's a violation of this commandment. You are stealing. You, You are endeavoring to accumulate goods, wealth, uh, in an unlawful manner. And then, of course, uh, any, any occupation, which is unlawful in itself, would violate this commandment. Drug dealing, being a hitman. Uh, and we're not, also, we're not just talking about unlawful in regards to the civil magistrate. Even those that civilly are lawful, but according to God's law, are unlawful. Owning a strip club. Owning a uh, marijuana dispensary. Those are unlawful endeavors. Ninth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. What's forbidden or what's required in the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment requireth the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man and of our own and our neighbor's good name, especially in witness bearing. And then what is forbidden in the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment forbiddeth whatsoever is prejudicial to truth or injurious to our own or our neighbor's good name. What is our positive and negative aspects here? Promote the truth and be not slanderous. Yes. So often, and it's not not even just slander. Slander implies that it's untrue. Uh, You can say true things 
and yet still violate this commandment. Uh, and we see that in the larger catechism much more clearly, speaking in tr- a truth in an unseasonable way. We're told that our words are supposed to be seasoned with salt. And, and when, even if we say something that's true and we do it in an unseasonable way, it violates this commandment. Or, let's say I have some dirt on Bob that I know he did something 50 years ago. And I can say it, and it's true. But if I'm saying it in order to tarnish his good name, then it violates this commandment. We're to uphold our brother and our sister's good name. And not do anything to tear down down that good name or to tarnish it. And then the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So what is required in the tenth commandment? The tenth commandment requireth full contentment with our own condition with a right and charitable frame of spirit toward our neighbor and all that is his. And then what is forbidden in the 10th commandment, the 10th commandment forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate, envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor and all inordinate emotions and affections to anything that is his. Accept the lot that you have been given in life and do not be discontent. That's what this commandment is saying. And if you remember, uh, back in our Philippians sermon series, preached a sermon on contentment. And I brought this out, that, that, that discontentment is a violation of the Tenth Commandment. Because you are saying, I, you are coveting what other people have in your discontentment. Saying, I wish that I had that because I'm not happy with what the Lord has given me here. And that's something that we all struggle with. I guarantee you every one of us here can think of a time where we have experienced discontentment with the place in life that we are at. And so we have to be sure to protect ourselves against this, to find our contentment and our satisfaction in the Lord. Um, This is our duty as Christians to uphold this moral law of God as summarized in the Ten Commandments. You know, we just saw uh, that the shorter catechism uh, gives us these summaries, but Jesus himself gives us a summary of the law. Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. Can someone read that? 
Matthew 22, 34 to 40. So the summary that Christ himself gives of this moral law is love the Lord your God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. And that's why we see that division, our duty to God and our duty to man. Uh, Because this is the summary of it. The entire law is is summarized in these two commands. And he says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And that is because all of the law and the prophets, all of the scripture, all the writings, hinge upon the moral law of God. They're, They're rooted in God's moral character, which is displayed in the moral law. And so all of scripture hangs upon uh, these two commandments, the summary of the moral law. And you can show from every scripture, every passage in scripture, what God is saying regarding the moral law, either positively or negatively. Every scripture teaches us God's law in some way. And we as believers must obey it. All right, so we will finish out this uh, lesson next week. um, And then we will continue on. Any questions or comments regarding our duty uh, in regards to the moral law of God? All right. Bob, can I get you to close us in prayer? Look at your law. Lord, we'll do all we can follow you in your ways. Lord, we thank you for your instruction. Lord, as we come now before you to worship, we pray that you prepare our hearts for that time. We thank you for the privilege that we have in worshiping you this morning. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.